Uh, you can edit me if I do something, say something foolish or something, okay? So. Let's pray. God, you are the same yesterday, today, and forever. And we are only able to sit here because of Jesus. But all men have only been able to sit in front of you and speak to you because of Jesus. In the past and forever. I thank you for that. I thank you for that opportunity. God, I ask you to open our open our hearts and our minds. We um, this day becomes such a a single point in our year and a single point in history that we date to and from and and see as a some a date I believe that happened and so somehow that has a magic formula. But that isn't what it's about. So God, I ask you to. Show us a little more of what it's about today so that we can celebrate this day with the meaning that you would have us celebrate it with. Honor it with the day you'd have us honor it with. And the reality is that means that it will be, it will spread, infest, consume the rest of our year too if we understand its meaning. So teach us God for your name's sake. Thank you Jesus that we can Expect that. Thank you, Jesus, that we can experience and live in the promise of your Holy Spirit and that changed, changed covenant that we live under now. Amen. So, I don't know, when was it this week? I was, we were in Ephesians 4 and I was studying along and going at it and, I don't know, all of a sudden it was, I should probably this is the Sunday before Christmas. Aren't you supposed to have a Christmas sermon or something? Um, and I, I went, oh, maybe, maybe that's what we're supposed to do. So Ephesians four is where we where we've been, and you know the the truth is, I guess if I could leave here saying anything today, spurring anything, stirring anything in us today, it would be that. There, there really isn't a a point in time where God's working with people change. We need to we need to understand that because it's really important. Everything from Adam and Eve, including Adam and Eve, Adam and Eve, depended on Jesus. Everything from Jesus is dependent on Jesus. It has always been the same. This is not a, a specific point in time. That's a point in history that if we believe in that and believe an event happened at that time, that somehow that makes us Christ-like. Pardon me, that's a rather foolish thought. Um, the, the, the reality is, is God has dealt with man from day one based on the work of Jesus Christ. And, and I really, there's, there's a tension given in the beginning of the Gospels particularly, um, at least a couple of them. There's a tension given to the birth of Jesus. And, and the reason 
for that is to make sure that there's historical documentation about his humanity. Because the necessity for Jesus to be fully human um, is essential and critical, but it's been essential and critical from day one. Again, the, the Cain and Abel story is completely based on Jesus Christ. You know, Abel's worthy sacrifice, Abel's worthy offering to God was the blood of a lamb. Um, and that the blood of the lamb didn't heal anything. It was by faith appropriating the blood of the perfect, spotless lamb of Jesus Christ. Abel was right with God because of Jesus Christ, not because of the lamb. Cain was wrong with God. Cain was not right with God. And as a result, um, the, the, the inference would certainly be um, spend eternal separation from God because he came on his own basis, on his own works, on what he thought would be right, on what he thought God should be happy with, on what he had earned, on what he had, he had sown and reaped and harvested and brought before God. And, and there's a, that, that same statement is absolutely critical for today. That same statement is, is essential. The, the focus on Christmas of being the event of Jesus being in a manger and born, I think we would want to be careful that that was really the, the centroid of our celebration. This was an event that absolutely had to happen prior, and this is an event that we are all dependent on from that. And, and really, we need to see that in, in, its, in its fullness. It's the same God then. It's the same God tomorrow. It's the same God today. And it's the same God desiring to redeem us in a relationship with Him. Okay? Jesus, the pivotal point or, or the, the essential part of Jesus coming is, is absolute. It's absolute that Jesus came. But it's not a, really about a little baby in a manger. You know, we tend to sing some pretty wrong theological songs and we tend to look at some wrong... I mean, our, our, you know, the whole concept of the manger scenes that we put everywhere. I mean, the wise men, the wise men were not present when Jesus was there in the manger unless he stayed in the stable in the manger for maybe up to a couple years, which I doubt. You know, the only reason they spent the night there at that time was because there was no room in the inn. And we can also be assured that it was predicted. It was prophesied years before um, that, that Jesus, everything prior to Jesus, and, and, and you need to be very clear on this. Everything prior to Jesus was looking forward to Jesus. Okay? And Jesus said, and Jesus did, and the Bible is very clear that Jesus fulfilled all the things prior. Okay? All the, all the means of getting to God. All the means of having a right relationship with God. God put a bunch in place. Again, I, I think it's, I, I complain about it at times, but I think it would, it's very good for all of us to read Numbers and Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy and, and Leviticus. Um, and, and when we do, we need to read them in the context of 
even though they're they're drudgery to read almost. I mean, the, the things that are, that are in there are just tough. They're hard to read, but because it's just law after law after law after law, the way you do things, the way you wash, the way you eat, the way you live, all these things. It says that Jesus fulfilled all of this. Okay? He fulfilled all of this. He didn't just take it away and say that doesn't matter because those weren't ways to come to God. It was faith in the Messiah. It was faith in God that brought people to Him. Okay? That faith did what? Just like today. That faith produced works. Okay? Faith without works is dead. And their faith in God at the time produced action. And that action by God's standard was you, you shall not, and you shall. Right? It was, you shall eat this, and you shall not eat that, and you, and you, you shall live this way, and you shall honor the Sabbath, and, and basic, you know, the, the foundation being the Ten Commandments, you shall not murder, you, you shall not commit adultery, you shall have no other gods before me, you shall create no graven images, you shall not lie, you shall not steal. Um, and all those things were, were laws that God gave and obedience to those laws and living under those laws and submission to those laws was living under the authority of God. Living under the authority of Yahweh. Okay? In, in your right standing, the, the law was given in order for people to realize, okay, if I keep this law perfectly, then what? Ah, then I can be right before God, right? But the law was given for people to realize, I can't. I haven't. Yeah. No different than today. You know, has any of us, is there anybody in this room who's never told a lie? If you raise your hand, you're, you just lied. So, but is there anybody here that has never told a lie? No. What, what does that make you? A liar. Okay. Is there anybody in here who is, who has never stolen anything? Never taken anything that wasn't theirs? You're a thief. What do, is there anybody in here who has never had a, a covetous, lustful thought about about another human, about another, and, and certainly a lustful thought or a sexual thought, even about somebody other than their wife or their husband? And you're an adulterer. Okay? So the, the law is is there. What do we? Where do we stand before God on our own? I'm a liar. I'm a thief. I'm an adulterer. In, in, in as far as he said, is there anybody here who has ever been angry at somebody? Very angry. So angry that they lost sight of the fact that that person's more important and wanted to retaliate on that person. Wanted to exercise judgment or wrath on that person. You're a murderer. Yeah? Yeah. Yeah. So so what what does that tell us? What did, What was the law given for us? The law was given to show that we needed a Messiah, a Redeemer, Christ. Christ and Messiah mean the same thing. And, that we, and the law was given to realize that we needed that. What did they do prior to Christ coming? They knew that, that someday the Messiah was coming. But in order to do that, they sacrificed a lamb. They sacrificed substitutionally something. The blood of a lamb, of a spotless lamb it was supposed to be. And, and let me tell you, you know, we, I, I wish, I wish somebody would almost do a, do a movie on, on what it looked like in Jerusalem on a big day. 
that it probably wouldn't, it would be X-rated probably. It would be explicit. Especially these days, they wouldn't allow it because it would show the killing and the bloodletting of hundreds and thousands of animals. Okay? It would show, it would smell and stink of, of the animals being burned, flesh, hair and all, as burnt offerings. Amazingly, that God said was what? A pleasant aroma? Which is a profound thing. To all of us would be not a pleasant aroma. To God it was a pleasant aroma. Why? Because it showed people broken and contrite and obedient and acting, their faith causing action. Okay? The, 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 the birth of Jesus in, in the, the effort that's made in the Gospels to portray the birth of Jesus again is to show his humanity. But again, the birth of Jesus is, is the, the history is consumed in the necessity of the Messiah coming in pain. Everything before and everything after. Is there, is there some distinctions between before and after? Was, was there some pivotal things that happened at the birth of, at the death of Jesus? At the birth of Jesus? No, not really. At the birth of Jesus? Yes. I mean, at the death of Jesus? Yes. Okay? At the birth of Jesus, there didn't seem to be much pivotal that happened. It was just an event that absolutely had to happen. Okay? And, and, and the, the purpose of him wasn't that he was born on the earth. The purpose was that he died. That was his purpose. That Christ died for us. That he paid the price for all sins past. Talking about all those who live by faith. All those who by faith were obedient to God. Okay? And all those future, all of us future who by faith are obedient to God. And, and, and Jesus fulfilled all the past. There, there's, there's profoundness to that that we need to understand that, that, that is very true for us. We are now, there, there is no longer a race of people, the Jews, that are God's chosen people. Don't. Get mad and kick me out of here, but I, and, and I'm, I'm up for talking about it. But I re, we are God's chosen people. The Bible says now. Now we are God. We are we are God in as specific and critical as the Jews were, as the nation Israel was. We are now. We are now God's chosen people. Okay. And in in. We are now, the, the other thing that is a phenomenal blessing and a phenomenal change in the dispensation that we live in now is that when Jesus died, the way that the Holy Spirit worked and God's people changed. Okay? When Jesus died, he paid the price. It was completed, the work that... that was always looking forward to being done. It was completed for all sins past and present were covered. Now most, again, be very clear, most people are not going to be covered. The Bible's clear, many are called but few are chosen. Did Jesus pay for those sins? Yeah. Are most people going to appropriate that? No. Most people are going to choose to not honor God for God. Most people are going to choose not to honor Jesus for who Jesus is. But the, the price has been paid. God's grace has been 
poured out to mankind. His unmerited favor towards us has been poured out to mankind. And, and, and the distinction that happens now is that we truly, rather than the struggle and the, and the, the law in our face that shows that we better go sacrifice an animal. We better go shed blood for the atonement. We better have a high priest go to the high priest and make sure that this happens so that we're right with God. Okay? Now, it's different. That blood has been shed and and God is very clear to state that that same resurrection power that after the atonement happened in the death of Jesus, when He paid for the sin of mankind, okay? He rose again to new life. And this is the era and this is the place that we live in now is that resurrection power is supposed to be alive in our lives. And, and if we are born again, it's true. That's an absolute. The resurrection power is alive in our, in, in, as born again believers, as new, new birthed people. Okay? That's a distinction from the Old Testament. The Holy Spirit did empower people. The Holy Spirit did fill people. But it was different than it is today. Okay? It's not as widespread as we'd like to think, but if you're truly born again, the Spirit of God, if the old self is dead, the new self, the new man, becomes alive. And then life comes from the Holy Spirit. Okay? We become alive. Now, we are here. Jesus, Jesus made some statements. And before we read the, the Christmas story, I want to read a few. You know, the, 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 the thing that just struck me and stuck in my you know, head for the rest of this week in studying was talking about when, when in four we talked about one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, one Father of all, through all and in all. Okay? And talking about but to each one of us grace was giving according to, according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore it says, he who ascended on high, he led captive a host, he, he led captive a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. Okay? Talking about Jesus when he, when he was resurrected from the grave. Okay? Now this expression, he ascended, what does it mean? Except that he also descended. This is talking about Jesus being the Messiah and being here. That he came in full human form. This is the, this is the Christmas story. Okay? What does it mean except he descended in the lower parts of the earth? He who descended is he himself. Also, he who ascended far above the heavens that he might fill all things. Okay? That he might fulfill all things. And, and it goes on to say, and he gave some as apostles, some as prophets, some as evangelists, some as pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the work of service, for the building up of the body of Christ. What are, what are these people doing? What is an apostle? And that was really where we were headed this week until I realized this is the Sunday before Christmas, so we're Christmas. So. The, but, but the truth is, what does an apostle do? He's one sent. One sent for what? One, one sent out from yourself to preach the truth of the gospel, the good news. What is the good news? The good news is that Jesus died, Jesus rose from the dead, and the, the profoundness of the good news is this. And that grace of God is now available to all men. This was the profoundness of truth that happened. The Jews always, the Jews always had a way 
to be right with God. They were God's people and they were, they had the law. They had the written word. Okay? And though, the, the distinction is the rest of the world didn't. Now, were there people who were believers in God then? It'd be foolish to think not so. I mean, look at the Magi. The Magi were, you know, we, we probably wouldn't think too highly of them. I mean, these guys were, you know, astronomers, we could say, astrologers even doing it. Okay? These men, they were, they, they were seen as the spiritual leaders in their time. They were highly regarded. Um, very well, if that's why they made such a stir when these magi come riding in to, to Israel, you know, from the Far East. I mean, they made a stir. I mean, the king knew they were there. Everybody knew they were there. All the people were going, what are these guys here for? Because it was these magi. Were they kings? I don't see any evidence that they were kings. It doesn't talk about the main kings. But they were magi that came in. And, and, and they knew, they knew that the, this profound event that everything had been, all history had been looking forward to and was pivotal and foundational for all history to come, they knew that had happened. Okay? I mean, they, they wanted to come and see this Messiah. They wanted to come and see who he was. Did, were they believers? Uh, they could have been. You know, they could have been. We don't know what happened to them afterwards. We don't know what, what went down. If they learned more of the Christ, if they learned more of the Messiah and their, the, the redemptive grace of God spread to all mankind, not just the nation Israel. But the good news, the gospel, is really that we are all able to share in God's grace. And this is a, that's a profound change in distinction that happened from the way God worked within his people there. So apostle is once and out. You know, all the things that are now in are, that, that are now gifts given to men in their purpose as a teacher, as an evangelist, as a prophet. These things are about proclaiming the truth of God. That God came. In the, in, in the form of Jesus. Let me read a couple other. John, the first chapter of John talks about the Word. We sang a song here this morning that did. But, but before I do that, let me read the end of Luke. Because the end of Luke was Jesus after the resurrection and he came back and met with these guys and then left again. And again, the important, that's really the critical crux that all history is looked forward to and depends on. Okay. In verse 36, he says, of, of Luke 24, he says, and, and while they were telling these things, that, that, remember he walked on the road to Emmaus and he met with some guys and he met a bunch of people and, and they came back running to the disciples and said, we saw Jesus. Okay. And while, while they were telling these things, he himself stood in their midst. But while... But they were startled and frightened and thought they were seeing a spirit. And he said to them, why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? I mean, they knew it looked like Jesus. They knew what Jesus looked like. They were aware that it was Jesus. And, and they said, why are you troubled? And because they thought they saw a spirit is why they were troubled. See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Seeing his hands and his feet was showing the nails driven through. That held him to the cross. There were probably still fairly fresh wounds. Okay? See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And while they 
Some put in 40 and some don't. And while they still could not believe it for joy and were marveling, he said to them, have you anything here to eat? And they gave him a piece of fish, a broiled fish. And he took it and he ate it in their sight. Now he said to them, these are my words which I have spoke to you while I was still with you, that all things which are written about me in the law of Moses and in the prophets and Psalms must be fulfilled. Jesus, that's what Jesus did. Everything looking forward was, in the past was looking forward to Jesus and Jesus fulfilled it. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and he said to them, thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and rise again from the dead on the third day and that repentance for forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. You are witness of these things. And behold, I am sending forth the promise of my Father upon you. But you are to stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. Jesus came to fulfill all the law, all the prophets, all the law of Moses, all the prophets, all the Psalms, everything that was written about the coming Messiah. Jesus fulfilled. In John 1, John doesn't really talk about the manger scene and it doesn't talk about the the stable okay doesn't talk of there's a couple other that we'll read the do but in in John chapter 1 because here's the here is the event that happened this is maybe in some ways the most accurate description of what happened okay we need to this is what we need to have in mind when we consider what is Christmas it says in the beginning was the word okay and the word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through Him, and apart from Him, nothing came into being that has come into being. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. That is the story, the Christmas story. In the beginning was the Word. In the beginning of all time was the Word. And the Word was with God and the Word was God. Jesus was the Word. Okay? That's who he's speaking of. In the beginning was the Word and the Word was with God and the Word was God. Okay? This is just stating a fact. Okay? He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through Him. And apart from Him, nothing came into being that is not Come into be, that has come into being. In him was life. And the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness and the darkness did not comprehend it. That's, that's in a nutshell the story of Jesus. Okay? That's a very, it's not as, quite as nice a story. I mean, I love little babies and they're pretty cute, you know, doing it is, is the story of baby Jesus. And I'm not saying that we shouldn't marvel at this event because this is a foundational, pivotal, critical event that had to happen, that did happen, and we're all dependent on it, the reality of it, that it did happen, okay? But that is the crux of it, okay? The Word became flesh and dwelt among us and lived among us, okay? That's what happened at the birth of Jesus. And Jesus was fully man, was fully flesh. And was fully God. We don't, that's hard for us to understand. 
he shows it again. And, and when he came back there, we just read in, in Luke where he, he said, give me some fish. Look at my hands. You know, here he was in the resurrected body. And yet he was fully man, right? He didn't see the fish go through transparent down into his stomach or something, you know, like we'd expect to see of a ghost. He ate the fish. Okay. But, so, when we read the historical documentation, and it is historical documentation, of, of the Word becoming flesh and, and living amongst us, okay, we need to have in mind what happened, what really happened. Um, and and I, I challenge again, Read the Gospels. Read the story of Jesus. It will trouble you. It will challenge you. Um, it will inspire you. It will come against our preconceptions in a lot of ways. Because if we, if we read it for what it is, Jesus um, was a pretty radical character. Uh, radical departure even from the character that we portray him as in modern church. In Matthew chapter 1, you can follow along or you can do it. They, there's a Again, this is a uh, apologetics. This is a this is a historical validation of who Jesus was, how he fulfilled the prophecies, how he fulfilled the role of the Messiah that was predicted. See all all this part right here. This was looking forward to Jesus. This was predicting Jesus. This was prophesying about Jesus. This was realizing the need for a Messiah, the perfect Lamb. Okay? Sometimes we ask, why didn't Jesus? more brazenly and more more openly professed that he was the Messiah because he didn't do that very often. You know? And I'm confident that one of the primary reasons that he didn't is because there were so many misconceptions about the Messiah by the generation that were there. It, that, that it would have... That they, they had an absolute, in their mind, understanding the Messiah was going to come and set them free physically, politically, from oppression. In that case, if Jesus would have been the Messiah, they would have to free them from Rome, from the rule of Rome, okay? because he would set up his kingdom. Is that what Jesus came to do? No. They, they didn't understand that the kingdom always predicted, always the same, was a spiritual kingdom, the kingdom of God that he was going to set up and rule and reign in. Okay? That's the kingdom we live in where Jesus is king. That, if, if we are in the kingdom of God, if we are going to participate and live in the kingdom of God, we are going to live under the absolute lordship and kingship of Jesus Christ. Jesus is our king. He, 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 God set him up when he raised him from the dead. Jesus is now sitting at the right hand of the Father. What, did, what have we read in Ephesians? Far above all rule and authority and power. He is King. King Jesus is our King. And if we live in the kingdom of God, we live in sub submission to that. We live in servitude to Remember we, last night when we were reading about Mary, what did Mary call herself? A bond slave of Jesus. Right? We don't like to talk about that one because, you know, wait a minute, you know, a bond slave? Is that what we're? No, I'm a, I'm a child with all the authority and all the rights of a child. You're a bond slave to the king, without rights in your own life. 
But to say, I've been crucified with Christ. No longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In this life which I live, I now live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. And that's not just some theological mojo. That is either an experiential reality or you're not walking in the kingdom. We either acknowledge Jesus as King of King and Lord of Lords or we don't. That's about as simple as it gets. And Jesus came, we don't, we don't earn the right. This is unmerited favor towards us. This is grace. Okay? Jesus paid for everything so that we could be, have a right relationship with God. That's what Jesus came to do. It was looking that the, God was very specific. This is something that He predestined to happen prior to it happening. This is something He predicted hundreds of years. One of the greatest, um, substantiations for the validity, historical validity of this book is prophecy. Because it's irrefutable. There are untold, there are a, a lot of prophecies, hundreds of prophecies about Jesus, specifics about Jesus that were, that were told hundreds of years before that if it wasn't a supernaturally inspired book, there's no way it could have happened. Okay? Specifically related to Jesus, how he would die, where he'd be born, where he would come from. I mean, it's always been one of the profound things to me about Jesus that, that they knew, the Jews knew very much he would be born in Bethlehem. Okay? What did they say about Jesus? Can anything good come from Nazareth? Because that's where you're from, it's from Nazareth. I never understood why it doesn't say anywhere in here he says, no, I was born in Bethlehem. My genealogy is this. My father came from the genealogy of, of David. In his hometown, the genealogy of our tribe was in Bethlehem. And when I went to this Roman census and I had to sign up for the census, I was in, my father Joseph went to Bethlehem. And I was born there. Never said it. That I can see. You know? Wasn't ever argued, wasn't ever done. They, they just said, how can anything could come out of Nazareth? You cannot be the Messiah because the Messiah is born in Bethlehem and you're from Nazareth. And, you know, I don't know quite why. He never said anything. I know if it was me, I'd have been yelling and screaming and stomping my feet. Saying, shut up. Jesus, I know, I don't know if it was part of the, the accomplishing the purpose of God because the purpose is accomplishing and the purpose wasn't for him to stay alive and set up a kingdom and rule and reign. Okay? His, his purpose was to die the sacrificial death for us. Okay? That's what he came for. That, that was the primary thing that he was born for. That was, but the need of the Messiah, the prophetic prophecies, the prophetic foretelling of him coming. First part of Matthew talks about that. What family he was born into. What family he came from. Because it was prophesied where the Messiah would come from. This is a proof text of who Jesus was. In 18 it says, Now the birth of Jesus was as follows. We read this last night, but listen, it's good. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit. Again, I, I would... When you read the Christmas story, I would ask you to trans try to transpose yourself into that culture to some degree. I mean, that's a radical thing. It's not it's seen as common today, but 
In the day, it was a radical thing. She was pregnant out of wedlock. She, no, she was no, no. But let's betrothal in that day was regarded as marriage, engagement, without fringe benefits. Okay, there was there was marriage, but you did not consummate the marriage in in sexuality. So, but the commitment had already been made. The promise had already been made. The dowry had already been paid to a father. The contract had already been signed, literally, in the betrothal. During that period of engagement. This wasn't like today is, let's see if this will work out and we'll just, whatever, go through a period. No, this was, and the only way out of betrothal period, out of engagement period, was divorce. Was the right of certificate of divorce. That was the only way out of the engagement period. Okay? And that, that's, that's really important to understand. To me, this is probably, this is a very important passage to understand. What happened with Mary and Joseph is a very important passage to understand because it helps us understand God's view on divorce. Okay? Because, because we, we, we tend to look at, at, Jesus said that except for unfaithfulness, okay, marital unfaithfulness, there is no grounds for divorce. Okay. And what Jesus was talking about is the betrothal period. Okay. Is exactly what happened here. Is in the betrothal period, Mary was, by all accounts, found to be unfaithful. She was pregnant. Joseph hadn't had sex with her. Okay. So now he could write her legitimately. Write her as a righteous man, not as a not as a wrong man, as a righteous man, and as a compassionate, kind man. Okay? It says that she was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit. And Joseph, her husband, being a righteous man, this is not a misprint, and, and was not wanting to disgrace her, desired to put her away secretly, write her a certificate of divorce. Okay? Now, again, the law said she was to be stoned. Okay? So she was found to be unfaithful during the betrothal period. Joseph was a compassionate, kind man. And he says, I want to put her away. I don't want to disgrace her. I want to put her away secretly. I know, I don't, I, I'm sure Joseph was just absolutely baffled and blown away. Because, let's be clear about this, Mary was regarded as a righteous woman. Mary, she was young. I mean, this is probably, this might be a 15-year-old girl. Young girl. 16-year-old girl. Okay? She was a young girl. But she was regarded as being a righteous. She was seen and noted as being that. God certainly saw her as being righteous. Right? Okay? Is she what the Catholic Church makes her out to be? No. She's not. Okay? That, that, that takes it to another extremely unbiblical, wrong perspective. Was she a righteous woman? Absolutely. Okay? She was a righteous woman and seen as that. So here she is, this righteous woman that he knows, and he was a righteous man. That means he was obedient and humble and submissive to God. And here's these two that were coming together in this, what would appear to be the, the perfect union. See you later, Queen. That, that, that was seen to be a, a positive, right, righteous relationship. And they were seen to come together in this. And I'm sure everybody, their families, everybody are going, this is good. You know, these are, these are two virgins coming together. Okay. We say, I, I, I assume that because they say he's a righteous man. And, and here was the, that means at the time that he was, his faith caused him to be obedient to the law, 
and obedient to the things of God. Okay? That he kept the law. And all of a sudden, she's pregnant. Whew. This is a tough one. And, you know, I'm sure Joseph just hammered. I mean, I can't imagine. He's probably like he got hit with a baseball bat. You know? I mean, how did this happen? I mean, but God knew that would happen. Being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her, he desired to put her away secretly. But when he had considered this, I'm sure with much torment, I don't know how long God allowed him to stay in that. doesn't say. Behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife. For that which has been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. Now, we all want to say, okay, good, fine. Conceived by the Holy Spirit? I'm sure that was a big question. You know, how did that happen? Right? I mean, be real here. You know, I mean, this is, let's put it this way. It has never happened. And has never happened since. I mean, this was a radical, profound thing. I'm sure his mouth, his temperament might have changed some, but I'm sure his mouth didn't didn't cease to drop, going, oh my gosh, I don't know what you said, but I am confident, God, you have told me this. This doesn't make much sense to me at the moment. I'm sure it was not not the source of relief we'd like to think, oh, it's fine, yeah, the Holy Spirit did it, yeah, it's good. Really? No, that's not at all what happened. Nobody had ever heard of such a thing, seen it happen, okay? Now, and she shall bear a son. I mean, but this is what God told him. And you shall call his name Jesus, for it is he who will save his people from their sins. Now, all this took place that the word spoken by the Lord through the prophet might be fulfilled, saying, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and shall bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which translated means God with us. I think that's why that's become my favorite song. Okay? And that, that is the profoundness, God with us. And, and why it is so profound is it wasn't just God with us then in the birth of Jesus in that manger and during his 33 years and then God went away. That's not what it says. That's not what the, that's not what the New Testament teaches. It says God with us. Okay? It says now, now what? Now what? Now we are the temple of God. Now we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Okay? God with us. Emmanuel is consistent and continuous now. And the true children of God, God is with us. God is still to be evident with us, seen through us, revealed through us. That is the truth of the gospel. That is what it's to look like. God with us. This is a, this is a profound thing. In, in, in the old day, prior to Jesus, God with us looked like what? The Shekinah glory? I'm still troubled and still searching and any help I can get John or whoever is, is good on, on when did God pull his glory out of Israel? You know, I mean, when the temple was, we taught, we, we mentioned that Zacharias went into the temple and, and was doing the sacrifice. It didn't say anything about him going to the Holy of Holies. He wasn't in the, he wasn't in the Holy of Holies doing that. He went into the inner sanctuary where he burnt incense and, and made sacrifice. That wasn't in the Holy of Holies. Didn't say he went in the Holy of Holies. 
I don't know if anybody was going into the Holy of Holies at the time when Jesus was alive on earth. It was 400 years of no prophets, of silence that God had made. And at the time, I don't know, was, you know, the Babylonians, as we spoke, probably Nebuchadnezzar didn't give back the Ark of the Covenant or the cherubim above it or the contents of it or the stone. And, you know, and what's his name hadn't, wasn't around to go find him yet. You know, so they, they were probably missing, almost certainly missing in the temple that they'd rebuilt. The temple, to some degree, was somewhat of an empty shell. Now was, now was, now was, was Zacharias righteous and doing the right thing before God? He was. Okay? He was offering sacrifices. He was still offering sacrifices for atonement. He was offering sacrifice, incense all the different sacrifices that they did. And he was still righteous before God doing what he was supposed to do. But the glory of God, I don't know. I don't know where the glory of God was. You know? And the profound thing is that in Jesus, in his resurrection, and now that grace-given resurrection power to all of us, now it's supposed to be evident again on earth, right? In his church, in his people. It's no longer in the, in the temple in Israel. Honestly, this might sound blasphemous, and I, I don't. That temple that the Muslims occupy, there's a side of it that who cares? That is not the temple where God dwells. That is not the temple of God, the temple in Israel. Um, it isn't. You know, it, 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 it's, it's an empty shell. And it's been an empty shell for a long time when it comes to God's glory. The, the, the Jewish practices of sacrifices and, and the old law and what they want to go back to and finding the blue heifer and doing all the things they're doing, does that really have any relevance to a relationship with God now? I, I don't think you'll find it in here. Okay? I mean, we can extrapolate all we want, but we won't find it in here. Okay? There's now long, no longer, he said, a distinction between Jew and Greek between Jew and Gentile. Okay? No longer a distinction. Okay? I mean, that's... I, I realize that that might seem like a pretty radical thing, but I'm up for... Let, let me, let's find it. Okay? Let's find out what was here. When, when Jesus came down, his, his Shekinah glory now will be built what? In his temple. That he is the foundation of In his body. We are to be the representation of Jesus Christ. We are to be the embodiment of the glory of Jesus Christ. We are to be the, the embodiment of the power of Jesus Christ. We are to be the embodiment of the gifts of Jesus Christ as the church of Jesus Christ. When we are called the body of Christ, that isn't just a, uh, a metaphor. Okay? That, that is supposed to be... An ex- he says that we are to be the representation of Jesus Christ on this earth as a body. We are to look and represent the character and nature of Jesus Christ. And God says, in order for that to happen, I will place my glory in you. I will place my power in you. I will express my character and my nature through you. That's his desire. We we, we don't necessarily want to be empty vessels that are open to his expression. We would much rather be 
self-fulfilling vessels that kind of bring Him in and add to him, add to our life once in a while. That's not what it's supposed to be. We're supposed to be empty vessels that show. And Joseph arose from his sleep, did as the angel of the Lord commanded him, took her as his wife, and kept her a virgin until she gave birth to a son. And he called his name Jesus. In Luke... Because again, I think that it's, and I would challenge you guys to read in the next week, particularly. I mean, it just, you know, like I, like I prayed earlier, earlier. But the thing that's on my heart is that the more we realize the event that happened, the more that significance of that event, the importance of that event, the influence of that event on our life will spread through the whole year. That this is not as we should see it, having an influence on all of history. Okay? It should spread through our lives through the whole year. This, I am grateful to live in a country that puts, um, creates a holiday or a special day or a day to worship on, on the birth of Jesus Christ. Um, that's a profound thing and it's a sweet thing. I mean, we, that's, that's a wondrous thing that we are able to live where, where we recognize and acknowledge Although, all of us realize that's a tragic misunderstanding by most in our country. You know, this is a, a day of, you know, incredible hedonism and materialism and, you know, guilt and shame. I mean, what was that Walmart commercial I heard? You know, shop at Walmart so, so you can look good. Because shopping at Walmart will enable you to look, look good in the gifts you give and do it cheaper. I mean, what if this is Christmas? You know, that's what Christmas is about. You know, how we can do it cheaply and how we can look good for doing it. I mean, the gift of, to me, the representation of the giving of gifts, of the giving of great gifts, is a sacrificial giving for the benefit of others. But when, when we give gifts at Christmas, this should be to bless you, to give to you. Unmerited favor, not because of Santa Claus and he knows when you're sleeping, he knows when you're awake, and knows even bad or good to be good for goodness sake. That's not the issue. The issue is God's unmerited grace and unmerited favor towards us that we're to give sacrificially. I don't know what that means. That means different to everybody in our financial situations. We're to give not based on your deservedness, but based on obedience from God to love. And to give sacrificially. And that's a, to me, that's the, one of the only values that I see in the whole um, institution of gift giving at Christmas that we have, you know, which becomes a major part of what it is. Um, it isn't a time for us to spoil each other with our extreme materialism and hedonism. It's a time to express sacrificial giving for the benefit of others. Because we care about them, because we want them to be blessed, as God wanted us to be blessed and wants us to have a relationship with Him. It's a profound thing that we are able to set this day aside, call it a holiday. And, and I really hope that as, as Christians, as those who seek to be Christ-like, as those who seek to be the, the children of God, um, that we will, that we do evaluate what we do. 
the devil has been a uh, he's a great deceiver. I mean, it's profound to me how he's taken our days and just tragically tragically corrupted them. Whether it's an Easter bunny on Christmas or a Santa Claus on 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 Christmas, Easter bunny on Easter. That sorry, I'm getting a little old, but okay. That 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 we that we look and say, okay, what what is? What are we teaching our children? What are, what are we modeling with our lives? What are we speaking of truth with our lives and what we are celebrating and how we're celebrating it? Um, so, I, 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 and, and that's how we are supposed to be. And yet, and, and setting aside that institution as the United States has been a sweet thing, but let's consider and not just go with our culture on it. Because what is what is the event that we are really celebrating? What, do, what is it that is, is it really the birth of a little baby in a manger, or is Emmanuel God with us? Um, let me read Luke a minute, and then you know, just because I not just because it's traditional, but because I think that it's very important. Okay. John the Baptist. You guys, it's important to learn the setting that God said. And John the Baptist was the foreteller, the forerunner of Jesus. Okay. Zacharias was John the Baptist's father. Um, his wife Elizabeth was Mary's aunt, cousin, cousin. Yeah, was Mary's cousin. Sorry. Um, there was obviously this is a pretty godly family, okay. pretty, pretty right-on family. And Zacharias was seen as a man before God. They were old. Elizabeth was old, past age of having children, and and you know, in in that day, a woman who didn't have children it was a shameful thing. She was seen as shameful. Children were the crown and glory of a woman, and, and you know we. Satan's been good about turning that around, but it's it's Zacharias is praying before God and asked that his shame on his wife of being childless would be taken away, and God answered his prayer. Um, he and Elizabeth's prayer because he saw him as righteous, and, and John the Baptist was conceived by them, and John came foretelling. John baptized with water. John said that I baptize with water, but the one coming after me, that Jesus will baptize with what? The Holy Spirit. Okay? Because this is a radical transformation that was going to take. John came preparing the nation of Israel going, no, 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 you're not righteous. You need to repent. You guys are in sin. You guys don't understand a right relationship with God. And you need to repent for your religious, religiousness, for your self-righteousness. Okay? That's what he was preparing the way. You need to repent. Because repentance is the essential nature to forgiveness. Remember, this is not about feeling sorry for your sins. Feeling sorry and feeling bad about your sins has no eternal merit. Okay? Repentance from your sin does. Turning away from your sin. That's what God says. Okay? Re- realizing that, that resurrection power has empowered me to be free from the bondage of sin and I choose to sin in willing disobedience and lack of acknowledgement of Jesus as Lord. Because I, I have the freedom from sin. Okay? So John came before him 
preaching. Didn't go well for John. Usually doesn't go well culturally or in society for men of God in spite of what we might think would happen. He was ended up being beheaded by Herod. Um, of course, he was kind of a freak. You know, never cut his hair, walked around in a robe of camel's hair. I can imagine being a pretty fiery preacher. You know what a robe of camel's hair would feel like? He was always irritated. Had to have been. It's pretty coarse hair. You know, it'd be like wearing a wool rug, you know, or something. This is not like lamb's wool. This is camel hair, you know, doing it. Rough. Anyway, eating honey and locusts and a, a voice in the wilderness calling out, saying, repent. There hadn't been a prophet in 400 years in the nation of Israel. God had been silent. Then it was time. Okay? Um, in verse 26 of Luke, the first chapter. Now in the sixth month, the, an angel Gabriel was sent. This is actually the same angel that met with Zacharias in the temple, but was sent from God to a city in Galilee called Nazareth to a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph of the descendants of David and the virgin's name was Mary. And coming in, he said to her, Hail, favored one, the Lord is with you. How do I know that that Mary was a righteous woman? Was a godly woman? Right there. Hail, favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at this statement and kept pondering what kind of salutation this might be. And the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Now remember, these guys are seeing angels. They're talking to them. And this is a pretty radical thing. They certainly believed in God and the supernatural nature and the kingdom of God being distinct from this earth. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. And Mary said to the angel, How can this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And for that reason, the holy offspring shall be called the Son of God. And behold, even your relative Elizabeth has also conceived, which was a wild one because she was way past age, and a son in her old age. She who was called barren is now in her sixth month. For nothing be impossible with God. A barren woman past her age and a virgin. This is a radical, immaculate conception. Miracle going down. And Mary said, Behold, behold, this is what she calls herself, the bond slave of the Lord. Be it done to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Now at this time, Mary arose and went with haste to the hill country to the city of Judah and entered the house of Zacharias and greeted Elizabeth. And it came about that when Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she cried out with a loud voice saying, Blessed are among women are you and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And how, how has it happened to me that the mother of my Lord shall come to me? She understood the Messiah was in, in Mary. For behold, when the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby leaped in my womb for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment 
of what had been spoken to her by the Lord. And Mary said, we'll end with this. This is the heart, Mary's heart. And Mary said, my soul exalts the Lord and my spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior. Remember, this is a girl who is facing the scorn and the shame. 15, 16 year old girl who was pregnant out, out of out of wedlock, out of fulfilling the marriage vow. Okay. My soul has rejoiced in God my Savior. For he has regarded he has regard for the humble state of his bonds. And behold, from this time on all generations will count me blessed, for the mighty one has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is upon generation after generation towards those who fear him. He has done mighty deeds with his arm. He has slaughtered those who are proud in the thoughts of their heart. He has brought down rulers from their thrones. He has exalted those who were humble. He has filled the hungry with good things and made the rich empty-handed. He has given help to Israel, his servant, in remembrance of his mercy, as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, his offspring forever, and his offspring forever. That was, the, that was the fulfillment of what the whole earth had longed for since sin entered, since Adam and Eve. They'd longed for the Messiah to come. It's everything that we long for and are dependent on. This isn't just a, a marker in our religious holidays that we hold up, try to give honor to and make ourselves feel better about that. This is a this is the pivotal point of our everything, of our future, of our eternity, of our present, of the power of God being expressed in us here. Is that Jesus came and died for our sins? It's all about Jesus. I, I would I would challenge you to be to be challenged by that. That it's all about Jesus. I remember hearing that as a child growing up my whole life, going, it's all about Jesus. Well, I mean, Jesus was really important when he came and was born and then died on the cross. And, you know, the Christmas thing is, is that's good, but it's not all about Jesus. I mean, here we are now. What's it got to do with Jesus now? We don't understand that it is all about the Messiah every day. We don't understand. It is all about Jesus. Let's pray. Jesus, you said that you did not come to abolish the law and the prophets, but to fulfill it. You said time and time again that you came to fulfill everything. It isn't, it's no longer about all the points of obedience. It's about submission to You. It's about surrender to You as Lord and Savior of our life. And that's it. That will, that will produce a life. That will produce fruit. But that's it. It's about surrender to Your Lordship. You don't... Give us much history about your 
about your childhood, Jesus, you were good to protect that because we would do all kinds of stupid, religious, blasphemous things if we knew more and had more. I mean, I look at I look at the nation of Israel right now. I look at Jerusalem and Bethlehem, and it's I'm sure not much pleases you there. A pretty profound stack of religiousness on top of religiousness, on top of self-righteousness, on top of ugly. That wasn't the purpose. The purpose was, in the beginning was the Word. And the Word, you were with God and you were God. And the Word, you became flesh and lived among us. And you died and paid the price as full man, but as perfect man, as a man who lived his life out completely surrendered and obedient to the authority of you, God. I thank you. I thank you that we can have that, that very sound picture of what happened, that very sound historical documentation of what happened. And that we can base our lives on it. And I thank you that we can also live with the objective reality that you're alive today with this subjective understanding that you're in our hearts. And we can know that. We can know that. We can know by truth that you've set us free. We can know by truth that your power over sin lives in us. God, I ask you to please challenge all of our hearts and what happens over this next couple weeks particularly as we as a culture celebrate this holiday. What are we what are we doing? What are we participating in? What are we honoring? I ask you to challenge us with that. Cause us to purify our hearts. Purify our minds. Renew our minds. To realize that it's critical. We will have no other gods before you. We shall not create graven images and those still hold true. So I ask you to give us wisdom in how to celebrate you, how to celebrate your great gift, how to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ, how to celebrate the, the coming of the Messiah, how to celebrate Emmanuel. Put those words in our mouth. God with us. Revealed in us. It's all about You, Jesus. It's all about You giving us the ability to come before God and to be Your children. I thank You for that. Amen.